you've got your Bibles open now to uh, Psalm 139, we'll read our text in just a bit. Tess Brigham is a licensed psychotherapist, and she specializes in treating those in what we call the millennial generation. She says it wasn't her initial decision, but she said these millennials just began to flock to her practice. And Brigham says that 90% of all of her patients are now between the ages of 23 and 38, that millennial crowd. And then she says, and the others are their parents. And she says, and I quote, over the last five years of practice, I've noticed a dominant theme when it comes to the clusters of problems about which these millennials keep coming to seek help. They say, I have too many choices and I can't decide what to do. What if I make a wrong choice? Well, I would say, frankly, uh, that making choices today is not just a millennial issue. Would you agree with that? We all have so many options when it comes to making choices that sometimes we can be paralyzed by just trying to know what do I do, what choice do I make. And I want to suggest that's why knowing the will of God is so important for your life and so important for you. Because those who have learned to abide in the Holy Spirit can trust and depend on the Spirit of God to reveal His will to them, by the way, for the, the smallest of details in their life. Now, you may recall two weeks ago, and that last message that I shared with you, we talked about the fact that Eli, the priest, and his sons uh, had failed to do the will of God. And consequently, God told Eli that he would raise up a new priest. That priest would be Zadok. He would serve under David, and he would be a godly priest. And God told Eli that this priest that he would raise up would do all that was in his heart and mind. That is, all that was in God's heart and God's mind. Uh, he would do that. He would carry that out. That is, he would do the will of God, which is what Eli and Hophni and Phinehas had not done. And uh, the fact is, that's just not true for that priest he raised up. Did you know God created you to do the very same thing? And that is to live out His will. And uh, uh, all of us are created for that purpose. And today I want to talk with you about that whole matter of you have been designed for God's will. Your design and God's will. Now, I gave you a couple of statements last week. I hope you remember these two statements, but I'm going to give them to you again because I think they're simple, but they're incredibly important if we're going to understand the whole matter of God's will. And everybody uh, will tell you they want to understand God's will. They want to know God's will. It's one of the most asked questions that preachers have gotten through the years is, how can I know what God's will for my life is? But I gave you two statements. The first statement was this. Do you remember the will of God is the most important thing in the world? The will of God is the most... Look, that sounds like a, a religious or spiritual cliche. I don't mean it as a cliche. The will of God is the most important thing in the world. It's more important than you. It's more important than me. The will of God is the most important thing in the world. Back in my, I have a little prayer closet off of my office, and I have uh, uh, plaques and, uh, that I've accumulated over the years just to remind me of things. And one of them that I have in there says this, I don't have to survive. 
And I, I put that there to remind me that God is not dependent on me to accomplish His purpose. I don't have to survive, but God's plan will, and God invites us to be a part of it because God's will is the most important thing in the world. Say that with me. God's will is the most important thing in the world. One more time. God's will is the most important thing in the world. The second statement I gave you was this, that doing the will of God is the most important thing in your life. Doing the will of God is the most important thing in your life. Listen, there is nothing more important for you individually than to be uh, uh, caught up in the will of God. It is why you were designed. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, the Scripture says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, Lord, would you take your word and speak into our lives? We want to do your will. We want to understand your will. We want to understand how you have designed us to live out your will. So use your word this morning with your Holy Spirit. Speak into our hearts, to our minds, what your will for us is. And cause us to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now this is classified what we call a wisdom psalm. It is a psalm of David and it is a psalm in which David is declaring his awe and his astonishment about God. David describes how the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth with all of the intricate details was also personally involved in the intricate details of your creation. And think about it. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Because scientists tell us this, that the sheer size of our universe, if we could travel around it, would take 500 billion years to travel the perimeter of our universe if we were traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. We're told that the sun has a diameter of 864,000 miles and could hold over one million planets the size of the earth. The star Betelgeuse has a diameter of a hundred million miles, larger than the earth's orbit around the sun. It takes sunlight, we're told, traveling at the speed of light. Again, 186,000 miles uh, per second. It takes the sunlight about 8.5 minutes to reach the earth. And yet, that same light, would take more than four years to reach the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. Some 24 trillion miles away from Earth, and it's our closest star, created by God. The galaxy in which our sun belongs, the Milky Way galaxy, contains hundreds of billions of stars, and astronomers estimate that there are even billions of galaxies beyond. Perhaps the number of all the grains of sand on all the beaches of the world 
would represent how many additional galaxies there are. How immense God is. The Creator. He created that all. And yet, listen, His creation, He exceeds His creation immensely. And the same God who created all of this is intimately aware of every individual, you and me, every individual on the planet, over 7 billion of us, and God knows each and every one perfectly. The very hairs of our heads are numbered. And David says that God was purposely involved in our personal design. Why would He, why would he be involved in your design and my design? It's simple. So that we could carry out His will. So that we could experience and enjoy being involved in His great plans. Do you see, doing the will of God is not a chore. Doing the will of God is a great privilege that He has extended to us. It's a great privilege to exist. Because it means God formed you for His purposes. And so it's not a chore to say, well, I'm just trying to live out the will of God. No, I get to live out the will of God. I get to live in the will of God. I was designed for the will of God. And if we reject the will of God, it really is an insult to Him. And by the way, it is a detriment to us to reject the will of God. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about this fact that He created this God, this immense God who created all of this universe, created you, you, individually he created you and he did so because he wants you to be a part of his plan and purpose uh, his cosmic eternal plan and so let me show you three things this morning first of all you are created for the will of God verses 13 and 14 remind us of that it says David says God you formed my inward parts you knitted me together let me remind you again this morning that you are not here by chance you're not here as the byproduct of evolution. It's not about survival of the fittest, which essentially means the person with the biggest muscles or the biggest club wins. No, with God, it's about survival of the faithful. You see, your existence is all about doing the will of God. And this is the what and this is the why uh, of your design. This is why you are created the way you are created, and it is the reason that you are here. You know, sometimes it's, it's difficult for people to distinguish between goals and purpose. Now, goals and purpose are not the same thing. Goals could be defined as, as something that a person wants to accomplish or wishes to accomplish, while purpose is what one hopes to accomplish by using goals. Does that make sense? Goals are what uh, I hope to accomplish Purpose is what I hope the goals accomplish. All right? So they're two different things. Uh, I read about a, an Olympic athlete, Madeline Dorado. She competed in Rio in 2016 in women's swimming, and she, that, she made the team at 23 years of age, which by Olympic standards is pretty old. She had just missed making the Olympic team in 2012, and had pretty much decided not to continue to compete, but her coach urged her to try one more time to make the Olympic team, and in the qualifying meets for 2016 Olympics in Rio, she, she made the team. 
And uh, she would be competing in four different events. She would compete in the 400 medley, the 200 medley, and the 200 meter backstroke along with a, a, a team relay. And she credited her coach for keeping her uh, uh, plugged in and tuned in. She said that was her goal to accomplish uh, her, uh, her part in uh, the team role that she played. But she said it wasn't her purpose. And she did an interview with Yahoo Sports, and in that interview she said, I don't think God really cares much about my swimming. This is not to me the end purpose of my life. To make the Olympic team is not my ultimate purpose. And when asked what she thinks God does care about, this is what she said. She said, I think God cares about my soul and whether I'm bringing His love and mercy into the world. Can I be a loving, supportive teammate, and can I bless others around me in the same way God has been so generous to me? And by the way, in case you're wondering how she did, you may not remember, she medaled in all four events, taking home one bronze, one silver, and two gold medals. But she said, she said I don't really look at my life as a, a, a accomplishing goals. I look at my life as being about the purpose that God has created me for. You see, goals are great. But we're not created for goals. We're created for purpose, a purpose that we were designed for in God's great plan. And so you are created for the will of God. But the second thing I would remind you and teach you from our passage, verse 14, is that you are, listen, crafted for the will of God. You're not just created for it. You're crafted for it. Verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely crafted by God. You're not just, look, don't miss this. You're not just created for the will of God. We can all go, yeah, that's okay, I'm created for the will of God. You're not just created for the will of God. You were crafted for the will of God. You were designed for the will of God. You, the, the, who you are, uh, the design of your life is all about how God wants to use you to uh, be a part of His will. You are crafted for His will. Uh, uh, that's the whole you, from cover to cover, from inside to outside. You're a one-of-a-kind. Uh, and one of the most important lessons that you and I can ever grasp is that God doesn't want you to be someone else. God made you, designed you, crafted you to be you for the plan that He has for your life. And because God so uniquely crafted you, it is legitimate to say that you cannot fully do the will of God if you try to be someone that you were not created to be. Did you get that? If you try to be someone or something God has not created you to be, you will not be able to fully carry out the will of God because you are crafted for His will. You are crafted for your part in the big plan. God is up to something big. That's what our series is. And you've been intricately designed, he said, woven together. It is, and I've told you before from this passage, it's a picture of a, a master weaver that is weaving together a tapestry. And, and you can look at a tapestry on one side, it just looks like a bunch of thread. But you look on the other side and you see all of the threads coming together to form the design that was intended. That's what this means right here. And when God created you, He created you and He crafted you for the role that He wants you to play in His, in His will. This week, 
I was reading through the story again of uh, David and Goliath, and you, you know the story when when David shows up, uh, all of the Israelites, the army, they're scared to death of Goliath. Goliath's probably nine feet tall, we're told, and, and they were scared. And uh, Goliath had this challenge. He said, there's no point in the armies coming out and us killing each other and everything. He said, you pick your best soldier and I'll face them face to face. And whichever one of us wins represents the army of the other. And none of the Israelites wanted to go and fight Goliath. Goliath was a big, bad soldier. He was a fighting machine. Never lost. And he comes out, and so David sees this. David is bothered by the fact that nobody will go face him because David believes something very important, and that is, if God be for us, who can be against us? And he says to the army and to these guys, not trying to antagonize them, but he just says, who is this Philistine that he would, that he would taunt the army of the living God? Does he know who he's messing with? He's taunting the army. You know, the God that created all this stuff we were talking about, the sun and the star and the This guy is taunting God's army. Does he know who he's messing with? But you see, the army of Israel didn't believe that, but David did. And David knew in the will of God, the work of God would be accomplished. And so David said, I'll go face him. And David was a teenager, by the way. I know you're probably saying, yeah, I've met some of those teenagers. But David, listen, one of the reasons the Bible says that, that the, uh, let the children come is because of such is the kingdom of God. is because they still believe God can do the impossible. And a lot of times what happens to you and me is we've been in the kingdom long enough to be jaded and start listening and believing and incorporating the lies of the rest of the world. But the kids, they don't do that, you know. They don't do it. And so David says, hey, I'll go, I'll go out and fight this guy because God is with us. And so David, <clears throat> David takes on the challenge. You know what King Saul does? And King Saul's a good fighting soldier. You know what King Saul says? Look, if you're going to go do this, at least put my armor on, the king's armor on. And can you imagine this teenage boy, and he puts on this armor, and it weighs so much, he can't hardly go. And David gets the armor on, and then he turns back to the king, and he says, I can't go in this. I, I can't go in this. It, this doesn't fit me. And I was thinking, as I was meditating on that passage, I was thinking, uh, uh, Lord, there's some, there's some lessons here for us. Number one, lesson number one is this. Be who you are for God. Don't try to wear somebody else's clothing. Don't try to put on somebody else's armor. God didn't, it doesn't fit. Be who you are for God. And I thought, isn't that simple, Lord? Why do I forget that? Don't try to be what you're not. Be what you are, because what you are and who you are is how you were crafted. And if you're going to carry out the will, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that had David gone out in that armor, it would have been a massacre. Because that's not who he was. Be who you are. And then number two, I thought this, use the talents that God has given you. Use the talents. You want to accomplish the will of God? Be who you are for God. You want to, uh, you want to uh, accomplish the will of God? What talents has God given you? 
use your talents for his will. And the fact is, God had made David good with something. What was he good with? He was good with a sling. And you know what the Bible tells us? After he took off this armor that he couldn't go in, he said, I can't go in this. It says he gathered five smooth stones and took his sling. He went out. Well, we know the rest of the story. Be who you are. You want to accomplish the will of God? Be who you are. Be surrendered to God. David was. And use the the crafting that God has given you, the design that He has given to to, uh, be used for His glory and His will. And so it is important for us to understand three things. Three things. What are they? Number one, that you are physically crafted. Physically crafted. This passage points to the fact that God made you the way way you are. Now, there may be some things that you can improve. And there's nothing wrong with improving your life. There's nothing wrong with improving you. There may be some things that you can address. But our basic makeup physically is from God. And it will always remain because God designed us that way. We have some limitations sometimes physically. There are things that, that, uh, that you can do that I can't do. There are things I can do physically that you can't do. Uh, and that's the way we're designed. But they, these things don't disqualify us, these restrictions or uh, limitations. They actually enable us to depend on Christ. It's why Paul said this. He said, Lord, I got this problem. Take it away. Lord, I got this problem. Take it away. Lord, I've got this problem. Take it away. And he said, God, God didn't do it. I asked him three times and he didn't do it. And he said, no. He said, because when you are weak, then you are strong. You know what Paul said? God has made me, he's given me this thorn in the flesh. And the adversary, the devil, uses it, tries to use it to defeat me. But God wants to use it to strengthen me. You see, even your restrictions are given or allowed by God. Why? To cause you to depend on him. Surrender your limitations to God. Let God use those as well. God also made you with some some natural abilities. You've got some natural talents. You, these aren't spiritual abilities. I'll talk about that in a moment. These are natural abilities. There's some, some things you're just gifted at. And there's some things that you just like to do. It's a part of the, your makeup. It's the way you're designed. And you can do some things that other people can't do. You can do them on the backstroke. And other persons, they have to labor to do them if they can do them at all. Those are natural abilities. And by the way, everybody has natural abilities and natural talents. Even those outside of the kingdom of God, it's called common grace. These are the common things that God has given to us. But even those things are given by God, and even those things are intended to be used for God's glory. And then you're not only physically crafted, you are, B on your outline, you're emotionally crafted. In your flesh... Your feelings and emotions can certainly mislead you. If you're not walking in the Spirit of God, you can, your emotions can take over and they can control you in a harmful kind of way. But under the leadership of the Spirit of God, they can also be very useful for producing compassion and mercy and grace and helping you see people like Jesus sees people. Your emotional design is from God. 
but it is designed, just like your physical abilities, designed to be surrendered under the lordship and the leadership of the Spirit of God in your life. And when it is, your emotional makeup is a wonderful, powerful, useful tool in the purpose and the plan of your life in God's will. Some people are very emotive. Uh, some people are very reserved. One is not better than the other. It's just understanding how God has designed you. And God has, And by the way, that's why sometimes we don't understand, well, somebody else doesn't get as worked up about something as I get worked up about, or vice versa, or they're just real cool, and, or I'm just real cool about something they're worked up. Listen, that's all a part of the design. The key is that your emotions are under the control of the Spirit of God, just like your physical abilities are under the control of the Spirit of God. And then third, or C, you are spiritually crafted. This is an endowment from the Spirit of God. And so, uh, and I've talked about and taught over the years about spiritual gifts, and you can probably go back and trace some of those, uh, or track some of those down. But if you belong to Christ, you've been given spiritual endowments. So your physical makeup is from God, your your emotional makeup is from God, and your spiritual uh, design is crafted by God. When you come to Christ, you receive spiritual endowments or spiritual gifts. And they are given for the express purpose of doing God's will. They're not given uh, for your sake. They're given for God's sake, for the, the body's sake. In fact, Paul talks about how when you use your spiritual gifts and you use your spiritual gifts and, you, and we don't try to use somebody else's gifts, uh, the I can't say to the hand, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hand or I'm not, a, uh, I'm not as good because I'm not the, the I and on and on. You, no comparison. Just be the... Be the gift you are. And guess what? When you are, the, the, the work of God and the will of God is carried out. And so you, you're given these spiritual endowments, but they're not for you. They're for the benefit, Paul says, of the entire family of God. And you want to see a healthy church, you see a church where the people understand how to be who they are for God, how to use their natural abilities for God, and who have surrendered and are serving God with their spiritual gifts. It's the ultimate picture of spiritual health. And by the way, it will be uh, a part of carrying out the work of God. And so you have been crafted. And because you've been crafted and designed this way, listen, don't envy other people's gifts. Don't envy other people's talents or abilities. I didn't say don't learn a new, a, a new talent or a, a new ability. That's not what we're talking about. But don't spend your life saying, well, this is all I can do. I wish I could do what they do. I believe the devil wants you to spend your energy trying to be something God never created you to be. With good intention. You know, you think, well, if I, could, if I only could do this. If I, well, the key is finding out who God has made us and then being all of that for God. And guess what you'll find? You'll find peace in your soul. You'll find joy. Because what happens? You're suddenly living the way God designed you to live. And His work gets accomplished through your life. Your part in it. It's not about who has a bigger part either. See, I think the devil wants to confuse us with that and say, don't you, you need a bigger part. You, you need a bigger part. If you were important in the kingdom, you'd have a bigger place. 
Friend, I, I want to tell you something. There are no small people and no little places in the kingdom of God. Because all of us individually were crafted by God. The bottom line then is that you have been specifically designed, you've been specifically, intricately created by God to be able to do the will of God with your life. There's one final thing I want you to see this morning, and that is, third, you are commissioned for the will of God. You are commissioned for the will of God. Look at verse 16. This is one of the great verses in the Scripture. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Isn't that an incredible thing? Do you understand the magnitude of that statement? What God just said is that your life has a calendar. All of our lives have a calendar attached to them. And do you know that calendar is attached to the will of God? So before you even physically came to be, God had already designed you. Are y'all with me? So God had already designed you, then you physically came to be. But when He designed you, He formed you before, he, before you were born. He formed you, and guess what? He said, I'm forming Ray Jones for this. And I'm going to allot this much time. All the days of our life were written in his book before there was yet one of them. Before you ever burst on the scene, all the days were written in his Isn't that an incredible thought? So by the way, you don't have to worry about somebody else's calendar either. You know, we've I've told you kind of the humorous story about John and Peter, you know, after Jesus, before Jesus was taken up into heaven, and Jesus tells Peter, you know, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Wonderful. He gets that through Peter, and then he tells Peter how he's going to die. You know, we've talked about this before. Y'all act like I have, right? Y'all have heard me tell this before. And he talks to Peter about how he's going to die. And I love Peter's response because I think I would have done the same thing. Because John is there with him. And Peter turns to Jesus, and you can see this happening. He looks at John, he turns to Jesus, he says, what about him? In other words, okay, so you tell me how I'm going to die. You got some bad news for John? That would help me process mine. Isn't that just like human nature? Okay, okay, so I got some bad news. What about your bad news? I'd feel better about mine. But here's what this tells us. Don't worry about them. Be focused on the calendar of your life. Be focused on the calendar that God has given to you. And I want to tell you something implied in that is that God has given you all the time that is necessary for you to do what He created you to do. See, you're commissioned. And did you notice it's personal? Look there. He uses the word, your eyes saw my unformed. He keeps saying, and all the days that were formed for me. It's a reminder that God's plan includes the specifics of my life. He says, my, you, my uh, form, uh, the days of my life, it's personal. You had this commission. You, I use the word commission because 
Commission means you have a mission, but you have a partner. Right? The partner's God. It's a co-mission. You and God. You have the mission. You have a partner. God is your partner. He will lead you in the mission. He'll be with you in the mission. And that you have all the time you need to carry out the mission. Don't worry about what you... Look, you may be sitting here today and you may be going or listening by online or television. You may be saying, well, I think I blew a lot of my life. I, I think I, 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 I messed up. Uh, I, I've wasted so much of my life. Let, let me tell you something to encourage your heart today. Stop worrying about what you should have done. I think the devil loves to paralyze Christians by causing them to get up every morning and back their life up to the loading dump of the past and load themselves up with all the past mistakes and all the past things that they could have done, they should have done, if they could do over, they would do over. And he puts it on them like a heavy burden. And then they go out and they feel like they can't be used because they weren't used or because they were were disobedient or because they they wasted or just simply squandered things. And they think, so I, I blew it. I had a chance and I blew it. I want to tell you, that's a lie from hell. Don't live there. The question isn't, did I waste it? I bet all of us have wasted it. The question is, how am I going to finish it? How will I finish? How am I going to cross the finish line? And the picture is that the finish line is still there in front of me. You know how I know that? Because you're still here. (laughs) We sometimes sing a song in our second service that, that says it's my testimony is what it's called and it says if I'm not dead God's not done and based on this you get it all the days of your life were written down before there was even one of them if if you're not dead God's not done and I don't know this is just kind of random I'm looking out over this audience and two-thirds of you still look alive to me so that means God's not finished and what it means is stop living back there you can't change it what you can do is you can cross the finish line right and I don't know where your finish line is I don't know where mine is I don't know uh, where the the next generations is I, I don't know that David served God in his generation the scripture says Right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. So the decisions you make right now determine are you going to live in the purpose and plan of God for your life from this point forward? Not, well, I did, or I didn't, or I have, but I'm not. Right now is what matters. And verse 16, look at verse 16 again, because verse 16, listen, let me tell you, verse 16 means that you are a something to God. You're a something to God. He made you intricately. He has plans for you, uh, and He had those plans before you ever arrived. Never let anyone tell you that your life doesn't matter. Never believe the lie that the devil wants to put in your heart and in your mind that your life is meaningless. Don't believe that. 
Verse 16 tells you that you are a something to God. Your life counts. Your life matters. And the devil wants you to believe that your life is meaningless. He wants you to believe that there is no mission for your life. Because if you believe that your life has no real meaning, and if you believe that you have no real mission for God, the devil can keep you from a couple of things. He'll keep you, number one, from experiencing the joy of the presence of God in your life. He'll rob you of that. If you believe that you're just here taking up space, or even if you believe that you should have done this, or you could have done this, and you didn't, so now here you are, and there's not much hope for you beyond. If you believe that, as the devil wants you to believe, your life no longer counts or isn't meaningless. He'll rob you from something he doesn't want you to experience, and that is living your life in the joy of the presence of the Lord God Almighty and walking in His will. That's what he wants to rob you of. And there are a lot of Christians that are living there. But not only will he keep you from enjoying the presence of God, the devil, if he can convince you that your life is, is meaningless, if he can convince you that you wasted your life, that there's, there's nothing more for you, if he can convince you of that, he can, listen, he can turn your commission into a no mission. He'll just shut you down. The devil hates God. And because he hates God, he hates you. And because he hates you, because he hates God, he doesn't want you living in the will of God and helping God fulfill the plan that God is going to fulfill. And the devil will do his best to trip you up. He'll do his best to tear you uh, down. He'll do his best to keep you living in uh, uh, any way that keeps you out of the will of God and carrying out your co-mission with God. There was an article in the Boston Herald last year titled, Cape Cod Fisherman, Okay After Whale Gulps Him Down and Spits Him Out. And Sean Philip Cotter, the author of that article, writes and says, When fisherman Michael Packard dove into the ocean to check on his lobster traps, He found something bigger than one of the live crustaceans he was hunting. Much bigger. Without much warning, Packard was suddenly swallowed by a giant humpback whale. Inside the mouth of the great mammal, Packard was preparing himself for the end. I thought to myself, hey, this is it. I'm going to die. But he didn't die. He was in the whale's mouth for 30 or 40 seconds, and then he was spit out, according to his mother, who was a local painter. As astonishing as this latest adventure was, his mother, Anne, says that, not even, that it wasn't even the first time that her son's life had been miraculously spared, noting that he had also survived a plane crash in Costa Rica. She encouraged her son to write a book about all of his many adventures, but he demurred, saying he's not much for all the attention. But his mother said he doesn't want to make a big deal out of it, but it's becoming a big deal. I mean, how many people have been in the mouth of a whale and then spit out? I tell you that story because it reminds me of a statement George Mueller made. George Mueller, the great awakening preacher said this, we are all immortal until our work on earth is done. Did you get that? 
He got sucked into a well. He got spit out. No, there's not too many people that can say that. He was in a plane crash, but he, he didn't die. Why? We are all immortal until our work on earth is done. If you're not dead, God's not done. And God is up to something big. And so what He has done is He has designed you. You're physically designed for it. So don't compare yourself with others. You are emotionally designed. Don't compare yourself with others. You are spiritually gifted if you belong to Christ for the work that God wants to do with you and through you. And if you get this, if you understand the dynamic of your design, it will free you up to live for God and find out what God has in store and in mind for you. God's up to something big. And so He uniquely created you. He uniquely crafted you. And He has uniquely commissioned you as a part of His big plan. My question to you this morning is, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? In just a few days... uh, I'm going to celebrate an, another birthday. And uh, by the way, I've noticed the older you get about birthdays um, that uh, you want more of them, but you don't care so much about the celebration. But I don't tell you that to tell you I'm having a birthday. I tell you that to tell you that my grandsons are coming down. <laughs> They're bringing their mom and dad, too. They're coming down uh, for my birthday this week. And so I'm on the phone this week. I'm on the phone with our oldest grandson, Bodie. And we're having this conversation. And he tells me, Pops, I'm I'm coming to your house. And I said, I know, buddy. I said, I can't wait till you get here. And he said, Pops, he said, it's your birthday party. And I said, Well, I'm glad you're coming. And he said this. He said, Pops, you won't start the party without me, will you? (laughs) We talked on a few minutes later. Just out of randomly, he comes back and says, Hey, Pops, you won't start your party without me, will you? And I told him, I, I said, Bodie, there is no party without you. Now, by the way, We had not planned a party. (laughs) My wife said, I guess we're going to have to to do something. I said, whatever he wants. (laughs) Get whatever cake he likes. Do whatever he wants. We're going to have a party now. Because he believes he's traveling down for a party. Well, people, I, I began to think about that. And it dawned on me, there's a big party coming. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And did you know what? You're invited. But you have to decide whether or not you're going to join it. I wish more people were excited, as excited about the marriage feast of the Lamb and being a part of that as my grandson is to come to his pops' party. 
because all of us can make it to the marriage feast. But do you know how you RSVP for that one? You RSVP by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And everyone who is in the family of God, everyone that has put their trust in Jesus Christ is invited to that great party. Right now, we have the opportunity to accept the invitation. If you've never put your trust in Christ, I invite you to do that. In just a moment, I'm going to step down here for our invitation. And I want to invite you to come and trust Christ as your Savior with this understanding that He created you for a relationship with Him. He created you so you could live out your life in His will. It is an, it is an incredible privilege that we have to get to live with God, to know God. Do you know what? Jesus is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what Peter said. So this is that moment for you. If you've never trusted him today, I invite you to come and trust him. And then you can say, now, with my, my physical makeup and my emotional makeup, my natural abilities and the spiritual gifts that God will bring into my life through his Holy Spirit, when I trust Christ as my Savior, now I am thoroughly equipped to live in the will of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you, Father, for um, the incredible opportunity you have given and invited us to be a part of. That is your big plan, your, your will. What an honor, God. Forgive us when we don't take it seriously. For any, Father, that are watching by live stream or television or listening on radio, uh, Father, I pray that, Father, if they've never put their trust in you today, they would call out to you. Any in this live audience that never have trusted you today would be that day, that in their hearts they would call out and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I need you. I thank you that you love me and you died on the cross for my sins. And right now, I invite you to come in, forgive me, and be my Savior, my Lord, and my Master. And Father, for others, many who perhaps are discouraged because they feel like they've blown things or wasted things, and the devil has convinced them that there's nothing really significant about their lives going forward, would you, Father, tell them this morning that how much you love them and how you still, because they're still here, your plan is not finished, and you want them in on it. Renew their commitment to walk with you, to live in your will, and to, to allow the Spirit of God to direct their steps. Now, Father, speak to us in these moments of invitation before we're gone. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, if you will. I'm here at the front, and we have staff on the aisles. I invite you to slip out, balcony or ground floor. There's a decision for you to make. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe you know Christ as your Savior. You just say, I want Ridgecrest to be my church home. I invite you to come. Take one of us and say, I'd like to join. We'll handle it from there. Maybe you're watching by live stream, and there's a decision. You've prayed to trust Christ, or, or you need a church family to belong to. There's information on the screen that will tell you what to do. You can use your worship folder. There's a tear-off panel there. You can use that. Drop it in the, the boxes and the baskets on the way out. But first, I want to call you to publicly declare your decision. 
Would you slip out in just a moment? Come pray. Some of you want to pray around this altar. It's open. Use it. Take advantage of it. Whatever the decision may be, join, trust Christ. Maybe you've never been baptized and you need to follow up on that. You come. Whatever it is, you come. Are you ready? You come on right now.